0: Okay, this is Family Electric Ghost, and we're live on the air with uh, Wisteria Edwards for the first time on the Family Electric Ghost program. Welcome to the Family Electric Ghost podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's fun to be here.
0: Well, to let people know that we are a featured podcast on the Newsly platform. Uh, you see that scrolling below if you use the coupon code ghost to get one month free premium subscription. We will be on Newsly later tonight. So you'll be able to listen to us there. It's an audio-only version of a podcast pl- platform. But thank you again for being on the program. Yes. Uh, it's always great to have uh, new people every every week or every day. <laughs> so thank you.
1: You're absolutely welcome. It's my pleasure.
0: So we're at episode 954 of the, oh, wow. of the Family Electric Ghost podcast. Um, so tracking that since 2016 on Apple podcast. So we're getting closer to our episode 1000. And, um, that's one thing we've been doing this because we love to talk to people from around the world. That's kind of our, our, our thing, but we've got your website up here WisteriaEdwards.com. for those of you who are only listening, uh, that will be clickable on the, on the published website, uh, of the podcast. But uh, if people click that, what what would they find there right now?
1: What would they find there? Well, I have worn many hats. Um, I like to say that I am an author, an educator, an influencer, and recently actually became the owner of an LLC company, Simple and Deep, which actually helps women understand attachment and engage their stories, their personal stories of harm and heartache. Um, and what makes us who we are right we are a whole story and then um also how they can live intentionally so and and then i also i currently teach kindergarten in uh southeast washington right on the border um of oregon so i wear many hats i've also uh worked as a playwright um and so all of those things kind of go together so you'll see um when you get to the website um, and I can explain it again later. But you can take a quiz on your attachment styles. You can uh, take a look at the new book that I'm publishing, uh, "Waiting for Mister Rogers." You can listen to my own podcast, um, and and just see the different resources that I have available there, as well as blogging and all those kind of things. So it's kind of like a one stop shop for all the different things that I do.
0: That's awesome. We like we like to let the listeners know that you know that the websites that we put up the URLs. Will help people get a deeper picture of the guest that we're talking to. We get to talk to you for an hour, but that right. gives people the follow-up to, to dive into everything that um, our guest has to offer. So right, one of the right. other things we have have uh, today is the topic we were going to get into, how can I repair what I've already messed up with, our, with my children?
1: Mm, um, absolutely. So, so taking away from that. Um, so we wanted I, to get that out there. Yeah, it's a big topic, right? It's like, oh, solve this problem in one hour. So here I go. Um, actually, really, my work with attachment, which is how we give and receive love, came from my own brokenness, my own um discovery of behavioral addictions, love and sex addiction, wanting to know why I actually tethered to people that were unsafe for me or emotionally. Um, unavailable or abusive. And oftentimes we will keep tethering to these people and we're like, why do I keep dating them? Or why did I marry so many people that are different people that ended up being abusive to me? And what happens is as we look into our own story, we'll see that we actually have what they call insecure attachment from childhood. So through my own journey, of looking at what put me in therapy after 12 years of being just feeling like I was running from my life and my own children. I have two boys. Um, I learned about insecure attachment. And so yes, there's guilt about what I didn't know, but what's so beautiful about it is that our brain we've learned in recent studies and in this last, you know, half of the decades is that, um, or the century, is that basically our brain is plastic. We can repair our brain. The neural pathways can be reconnected and reestablished. And so the cool thing about that is, is that even if we have insecure attachment, we can gain secure attachment. So that alongside having a little boy that entered my classroom, that was absolutely a mess. My 15th year of teaching who I call blue eyes because I try to keep his anonymity uh, he changed my life because I was looking for something. I thought this kid is going to take me out. Like I had moved to a different school because I thought, okay, now I can kind of work on my own healing. And cause I was working in like 100% poverty before. And so that was kind of, uh, giving me some secondary trauma where I was, I was absolutely dead set that it was my kids and I against the world, whoever I was teaching. So I was clothing them, feeding them, giving everything they needed, you know, spending myself into an oblivion over, you know, dry shampoo, making sure they had everything they needed. Um, in the same sense, I was kind of starting to abuse myself with my job because there was just no end to the need. And so I moved to this new school and then this little boy was going to take me out. And so the whole journey ended up becoming something where I started applying what I was learning in my own life about how to repair attachment to the children I was teaching, especially him. But in my deepest desperation, I was like, I don't know what to do with him. So I went on YouTube and I looked up Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, comma, crayon episode, because I knew that when I was growing up, I had Mr. Rogers and I thought, well, I know I can trust him. So, and I also remembered the crayon episode, which a lot of us remember from the eighties. And so I found it and I just decided we're going to watch Mr. Rogers because I, I literally don't know what to do with this kid and magical, amazing things started to happen where it literally started to rewire the brains of children. And so fast forward into that year, by the end of the next year, I was able to actually enter the Fred Rogers archive that he left upon his death and read his personal papers. And so that became the basis of my book that I'm releasing. And it's really not just for teachers, but it's for caregivers and for parents, but also so important, the children we once were, because to heal our insecure attachments, we have to go back and think about the child we were, and that's how we actually can repair the things that we felt like we messed up with our own children. I was able to go back to my children and say, whoa, I had no idea I was passing this junk on to you. So how Mm -hmm. we are parented, we actually give to our children. It's called intergenerational trauma. So what we don't heal gets revealed in our behaviors, right? So. That has been the best thing that's ever happened to me in Game Changing because I was able to go back and reestablish secure relationships with my children. So the best way to repair things with children if we feel like we've messed up is to study our own story and recognize where we need to heal and go to work on that. Rigorously, without like with fervor and verve, or you know, vigor, because of the fact that I think I just invented a word in the middle of there. But it's the (laughs) idea, like we go after it wholeheartedly, and it's going to be the hardest thing we ever do. But I tried to in this book create a roadmap for anybody that wants to know what does a child actually need to be secure, and so that's that's the basis of all of my work. So when we talked about the quiz on my website. That is a 60 second quiz you can take. You could take it right now while you're listening to me dribble. And the great thing about it is, is that it gives you, it gives you a customized report right away so that, and it looks just at, before we get really complicated, you notice like as adults, we get better at hiding things, better at, at being distracted. But as children, it can be pretty simple to peg what kind of attachment styles they have when they walk into my classroom. So I'm receiving children next week many of them. I met them the other night. <laughs> and mm-hmm. the thing is, is that I could tell even when they walk into my classroom, what I'm pro- probably dealing with. So that's mm-hmm. been the kind of the, the wholehearted part of it. But um, yeah, so Mr. Rogers was right all along. He was trained in attachment right at the very beginning when they learned about it. And now we've proven that he was right all along by scanning people's brains, which is pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, I'm a I'm a child of the '70s. I grew up with like you know Zoom, Sesame Street, Mister Rogers. You know, yeah, probably Captain Kangaroo too. Of course, (laughs) yeah, absolutely. All those,
1: yeah. (laughs) And what was so great about it is, um, just recently, you know, they did the movie with Tom Hanks. But the one that I absolutely love is a documentary that was put out by Morgan Neville, which is called "Won't You Be My Neighbor?" And if anybody really wants to know about how intentional fred rogers was they should see that um it's full mm-hmm. of people that i met and love but it also shows just the amount of work he put into being absolutely precious and careful with everything he did for children to make sure that yeah. he always said the truth that he never misled um and all of those kind of elements that made him who he was but also he modeled what secure attachment would look like if someone were sitting down with you talking to you as a child. And so that's what I've used kind of to partner with me in my own teaching and it's literally changed my life and the way I the way I look and listen to children. And and it also is why I founded my company because it's one of those things where we look for these really shallow and complex answers and we're trying to treat symptoms, but now we know that all adversity comes from the beginning of our first wounds, which is brokenness, broken connection, mm-hmm. right? And then we look for solutions to either make us not feel like we're broken or yeah. give us false connection. Think about social media. Yeah. My God, isn't that like a so yeah, it's Like it's such a safe. false connection. Yeah.
0: Well, it's so, like well, you know the whole yeah. It's very you know if you think about the kids today being right. th- being kind of um kind of bullied into thinking that these um these, uh, internet, uh, you know, out there, um, the personalities that are out there. These, um, what do they call it? influencers? Yes. They've yes, all got these like kind of like these, uh, false kind of ideals. Yeah, like they're absolutely. making kids have their, you know, get weight conscious before they should. Yes. think that there's only one pattern for beauty. There's, yes. And, and yes. it's very dangerous to get young teenagers into, you know, they could get in the eating disorders they could get into you know uh bad uh you know addiction because they're trying to get to this uh kind of unattainable thing these people are representing kind of not the real picture like the the opposite of mr rogers like i grew up you know with like four tv channels not like a thousand no no no, had
1: like On our phone. I know. So what's funny about this. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And the thing that um, it came through, like I had him, I had another little boy that was just out of control, but it was more about like me, as we go back and revisit these places that we were broken as children, I want to be very clear that what I talk about more, I do have a whole section in there on trauma, but what we view as trauma is not the whole thing. So what I really believe is important that we define is what is developmental trauma. So it's not just mm-hmm. the you know what people would say oh PTSD because I was there at 9/11 or, or I went to, into combat or I you know we had this big you know um uh, a mass shooting or whatever what what people think would think is traumatic which it is. But mm-hmm. I'm talking about developmental trauma so it's for a prolonged amount of time. And it affects not only just how a child sees the world, but how they view themselves. And it is through continual um, ostracized, being ostracized, abandoned, belittled, uh, demeaned, mm. uh, dismissed by a parent. And one of what yeah. happens is it's the little things that people would often say, weren't a big deal. Like, oh, that. well, he's a kid, he'll get over it. Or they're so little, they don't remember it. And yeah. now we know that trauma is stored in our body. It's stored in our senses. It's stored in our beliefs about ourselves. And so that is what tra- developmental trauma is. But it's also where we didn't get enough of the good things that we needed. So like you said, like people, like they don't have someone coming alongside them and saying, you know, that's actually just because they're saying it on the internet doesn't make it true. Did you know that? Yeah. Or you need to ask yourself what you really believe. Like you, they don't have what we would call like the, the wise adult or the Jiminy Cricket, the conscience that's like telling them, hey, you might want to be careful about spending so much time in that place because I see that it's changing you. Or um, And so we call it, It's it's children need an empathetic witness to whatever story mm-hmm. they're in. So for instance, I went through COVID teaching five-year-olds on a screen. And the thing that I did the most was, one, I did never stop showing Mr. Rogers. We watched it every day. I just shared my screen. We watched it. Sometimes I'd come back and some of them were asleep, you know, but all of them were there. And uh, and the biggest thing that I made sure they knew through the entire pandemic was the people that love you, were going to keep you safe. You don't have to worry about COVID. It's an adult problem. And two, I love you. And I will be here when you come back to school and we're going to get through it together. Right. Just like Fred does at the end of every episode, he says, I'll be back when the day is new and I'll have more ideas for you. I will come back. Mm -hmm. So it's that idea that children need to know that adults come back, that adults love them, that they're going to keep them safe. And so many of us as children with insecure or broken connection and attachment learned as babies that people were not trustworthy. They were either going to hurt us, they were going to ignore us, or they were going to leave us. And so what happens is that we keep trying to figure that out our whole life. And so my goal is to create and foster what we felt as children, that feeling of safety or that feeling of that the world wasn't so complex, right? Like, I think that was what I was trying to get back, just even going back to the Crayon episode. Like, okay, here's Mr. Rogers. I know it's like the 1980s. <laughs> Reagan is president. Like, the things that I remember from being a child and how kind of trying to like chase after that innocence or like that less complex world. And so that's what I try to foster in my classroom is less less busyness, less technology, not for just to do it just because it's there, but like, and my children didn't know how to play when they were coming to kindergarten. They didn't have any imagination whatsoever. They think everything is a smartphone that they can swipe. They don't know how to hold a crayon. They don't know how to sit in a chair and listen to a story. We have taken, by trying to be distracted or trying to entertain children, we've literally stolen their childhood there is no more innocence. Like the things they're wanting me to teach young children are things that we didn't even think about learning until we were in high school. And now we're just making it more and more about stealing childhood, like stealing the ability to imagine that a paper plate is the steering wheel of a car or that, um,
0: yeah,
1: yeah, like making up an animal or, or being silly on purpose. Right. So that is another thing that, that is so important that I feel like our world has lost the ability to play well with each other, <laughs> like to get along. Yeah. I mean, to... as,
0: a, yeah. Yeah, I mean as a kid, I'm a child of the seventies, you know, I'm 55 and I grew up with wood blocks, Legos, erector sets.
1: Didn't you go outside and so get dirty? So I had to build my you own remember, like, Yeah. Like, and do you remember like coming Yeah. I, mean, I had
0: to yeah, tonka yeah. yeah. We had Tonka and, Toys. Yeah. Tonka Toys. And sandboxes. Like, and like you know, Earth excavators. We go out to a little sand pit and then we kind of pretend that we were building things. And it was a lot, a lot of the world was not video games. It was all like no. we made up our own worlds. You know, we yes. went outside and we created things with our Tonka Toys. We played wiffle ball or badminton, uh, you know. We we Pick had ball. like, you know, racing yeah. car sets where they actually played and they had to put things together and, and work on the cars. And so there was a lot of creativity, a lot of learning how to fix things, or how to jury rig things, and how to how to or discover things. Apart. And it wasn't all kind yeah. of pre- wasn't pre- pre-planned.
1: No. We we
0: had to create uh, yeah. our own worlds with right. whatever we got.
1: Right. And I think what I noticed when we started watching Fred consistently and like everybody's like oh isn't it great that they're doing Daniel Tiger which is like an animated I'm like well one it's confusing because they made Daniel Tiger like Mr. Rogers and that's weird and then like I'm like it, and and I miss him like it's so important that children see a grown man who can actually attune to them and isn't going to be a creep because we've made all grown men that would, might oh, be sure. interested in children yeah. pedophiles <laughs> which they're not but the thing is, is that yeah. we have made guests yeah. like so <laughs> anytime someone's like oh you know that guy is my neighbor and he wants to come over and talk to us he must be up to something like we've become so suspicious and so terrified. So there's this criminologist called Gavin Mm -hmm. DeBecker, and he wrote this book years ago called The Gift of Fear. And he says that we spend so much time worrying about things that will never happen that we actually cancel out what we have is real fear to protect us. For instance, he said, we worry that a child is going to be kidnapped by someone they don't know, which after working on a play about... Missing and endangered children. It's 1% of all children who are actually abducted by a stranger. It's always someone they kind of know or a, per- or a parent, right? But we don't heed yeah, the yeah, fear the we feel. <laughs> right. We don't heed the fear that we feel with the guy that gives us the creeps at the daycare. We cancel it out. We're like, oh, it's not a big deal. Instead, we worry so much about these people that don't exist that are going to take our children. So it's like we have to we have to yeah. think back to what is real, what is what matters. So here's the deal. Fred Rogers said the insides of children have not changed. The world around them has, which means that what you needed in the 70s, I needed in the 80s, someone else needed in the 90s, and now a child needs right now. But we have tried to say that's different just because we know more that children need something different. No, no. Like it's really about being what seen, heard, known, felt someone sits beside me, enters an experience with me, doesn't take it on. But when I'm having a hard day and someone sits beside me and just sits there, that is powerful. We've, we've stopped being silent. We're afraid of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there's countless moments where Fred just lets it be completely still and silent. And so I started doing that in the classroom. Like, they'd be like, what do I do next? And I'd be like, sit there. And they look at me like, what?
0: Yeah. Entertain me. And I'm there. like,
1: I'm not a freaking circus clown. You need to be able to sit there and just be okay. Like, like breathe. Yeah. Like, and I'll deliberately We're just- kind of like meditation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think and a lot people. of people have forgot about the silence. they are trying to fill up every moment. And if you fill up every moment, you don't give time for reflection. No. And, and a part of learning is you, you got to have a little space so that, you can't be constantly engaged. But because actually, of this kind of yeah. smartphone, computer, babysitter world, people aren't given the space to have the imagination to process mm-hmm. what they just learned. They just keep yeah. on getting overloaded with new things.
1: And then how much right. of it are they
0: retaining, or again, too much of it at once?
1: I know. And we just we work on growing our brains, but we also in kindergarten work on growing on the inside. And uh and understanding that emotions are not bad or good. They just are. And when they show up, and so Fred was the catalyst at that whole you know, crossroads where you know, up into that point, they really just hadn't looked at, um, at the late 60s, when he finally started doing his work in child development, they really hadn't looked into the emotional world of a child, right? That was, we were in a place where it was kind of this Victorian, kind of a uh, different way of looking at it, where it was like a child didn't really develop until a certain age. And so he was like, uh, he met this little boy during his research and his studying that said, this little boy he was watching this little boy talk to i think i think it was a doctor i can't exactly remember but he said well what do you do with the mad that you feel when you feel so mad you can bite and fred was just like blown away by that which became the beginning words to his song what do you do with the mad that you feel because he was like that is so primal <laughs> like mm-hmm. i want to bite you i'm so pissed right like so like so he was like whoa i mean like but yeah you know like so now here's a child with all these extreme feelings inside, and no one's guiding them. We, we just leave kids. So I was the child that if I was <laughs> falling apart, dysregulating, so my nervous system is through the roof, my mom couldn't handle it, she would jump into the chaos with me, or she would put me in my room and I'd have to scream until I fell asleep, right? But that's terrifying as a child because you want you don't have the capability to really regulate yourself. That's why babies cry. We pick them up and we soothe them. So it's the same idea that in kindergarten, mm-hmm. for instance, they they need someone to... That's why COVID killed me, by the way, because they were like, don't touch them. And I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, I have to touch them to soothe them, right? They fell down. Mm-hmm. But, oh, sorry, I'm going to get too close with my mask. Like, it, did, it was awful. Anyways, I digress. But it's the idea that, like i we need they need someone to come alongside and say oh my gosh that's so huge i can see that matters so much and it's okay to be angry about that you know like and validating it witnessing the moment with them it doesn't mean that we're telling them and it's totally fine that you're out of control no i mean we can talk about that but if they have flipped their lid so to speak and all of their cognitive reasoning is gone because what do we act like when we're super ticked off children, right? Because our brain has like all cognitive ability has flipped. So it's the same thing with the child. We don't try to reason with ourselves really. We can't even reason when we're really upset. So we just need someone to sit there and rub our back or just sit with us and tell us it's okay. And when you're ready, I'll be right here. And so a lot of that has just been helping my children that I work with understand that and My husband said the other night, he was with me for back to school night. And he said, what I love the most about watching you as a teacher, and we've been married 25 years, but he said, I love not just to watch you receive new children, but I love to watch all of the children at all different grades. They all come back to you. And the reason is, is because Mm -hmm. they know that no matter what, they are loved. I I disciplined those kids. Like they were like, I'd be like, "Mm," you know, like, but we also talk about that discipline is love. It's loving to tell someone no. It's loving, which, oh, man, people don't like it when you tell their kids no. Yeah. You right? have to have
0: guidance. You have to have guidance. Yeah. Well, yeah. You, get, yeah, you get some parents today that that don't want any kind of uh, controls on their kids. And it's like there's yeah. certain norms that have to be like, within civic society or civil society. Yeah. You can't right. have somebody just getting out, of, been out of control, to the point where they hurt other kids, right? Well, so and that's you have the thing to too. Kind of, yeah, yeah. yeah, At some so point, funny. you have to have some level of control. You know, I know,
1: I know, because you know what's can't interesting be out of control all day. <laughs> right, and I dare any of those people. I, I kid you not, I will let them come into my classroom, but before they get there, I will feed my kids cupcakes and then lock the door, and they can deal with all those children. Because let me tell you. Um people would be amazed at how their children actually act in a different setting with other children and also when entitlement shows up in the classroom it's the first thing i nip because i'm like you know what it's not about me it's about and then they will they'll eventually say we like i just nip that crap quick because i'm like you know what mm-hmm. the world does not revolve around one person and i always say you know if you cut in line for cupcakes in new york that would be a big deal like like there's places you don't cut in line yeah, mr or deal. miss ma'am so it's the idea like it's more you about you can't
0: do it you can't yeah do it.
1: like i'm like oh can you imagine like certain places in manhattan i'm like you might die like i don't tell kids that but they're <laughs> like there's places That's where it yeah like but it's it's more about we have become so incredibly self-centered as a, like a, as a world right so it's really about teaching children
0: mm-hmm.
1: with fred's help and that's what i've done i've just i've started to go back to um those little adages that he gives where it's like you know uh what we want to give to the world and how we help other people. And it's these universal truths. And he was an ordained minister, a Presbyterian minister, but he was ordained to serve children on TV. So, and he, what's so beautiful about his faith is that mm-hmm. he made it universal. He didn't want children to ever be excluded if they were Buddhist or Muslim or whatever. He wanted children to know that they were loved and that they were seen as yeah. infinitely beautiful and absolutely perfect the way that they were, regardless of race, gender, you know, any of it. So he ch- opted to never use the word God and use the word love. The very which inclusion, is, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so nobody, and I love that. Very, and so it, I will.
0: Very unlike yeah. very. Progressive.
1: (laughs) Radical, super radical. And what's funny about it is now people are like, oh, it's so old fashioned. And I'm like, but you don't understand. He was so radical to do that. Right. And the thing is, yeah. And so now what I tell my children is I say to them before we ever start, Mr. Rogers, one, we I do not multitask as an educator. I sit down in a chair with them and I model to them how to watch with intention to watch with purpose, to watch with wonder and curiosity. Mm-hmm. We don't talk. We don't go potty. We don't get a drink. They get to lay down and snuggle if they want. But they also, I pull these lucky duck sticks is what I call them. They all have a number. And I pull it. And then that those kids get to sit on both sides of me. They flank me. And then the the place right at my knees, is I call it the hot spot. And usually it's the child. Well, for instance, it was the little blue-eyed boy when I first started watching Mr. Rogers. He was there every day because he needed it. And I think about that's like the best attunement spot. So to attune is to enter on purpose, the emotional situation or experience of another human being. So thinking about it, like, not only am I going to, I'm going to pull up a chair beside you, but I'm going to take my shoes off. Because what do we know when someone takes off their shoes? And then maybe they sit crisscross applesauce on on, on the couch they're sitting on. They're there for a while. Like they're going to take a spot and they're not going anywhere. And that's how we want children to Mm -hmm. feel when they are near us that we took off our shoes and we're going to stay put. Like, no big feelings you have are ever going to make me go away. Yeah. I'm here. I'm here for you no matter what. Yeah. So I do a lot. You don't want to be so. I do a lot of touching. I'm sorry. What? I didn't hear what you said. What was that?
0: Well, I think some people are so distracted. They're so distracted, distracted, you know? Yes adults are not fully paying attention to kids
1: that's why like an afterthought
0: phone or, yeah. they're like they're on their phone or they got mm-hmm. the beeper or whatever
1: yeah. yeah you just dated yourself with a beeper i think i don't know if people still have so beepers I, I totally... dude. <laughs> but it's the idea yeah. the idea that yeah well yeah, it's the, it's it's the so, same idea <laughs> you get it yeah but the thing is it is hard and um my mentor challenged me before I really started doing this with Mr. Rogers every day. She said, please do me a favor because she also knew that I was really stressed out with what was going on with him and what I was coming out of with secondary trauma from my other job at the other school. She said, please allow yourself to receive what love has to teach you with Mr. Rogers. And so I took that challenge and said, okay. And as soon as I did that, amazing things started to happen. Not only for the children I was teaching, like they started to become more creative. They started to want to make things. They made puppets. They made puppet stages, whatever they saw Fred do. They wanted to try it. So they made homemade instruments. All of a sudden my parents were like, one, they're asking to watch Mr. Rogers on YouTube Two, they're uh, they're wanting my trash. And I'm like that, ah, give it to them. Like, let them make whatever they want, right? Like, now they're thinking. Like, now they're not just thinking that they need a car. They can make a car. So, like, all of a sudden, they started to have imagination. They started to make believe. They started to, they're starting to reenact Mr. Rogers with puppets in the classroom. It was, it it took, mm, it's so small of the amount of time it took to get their childhood back. And they started making connections. They started being kinder they started to understand empathy. They started to, and yes, even the little blue eyed boy, you know, he tried to like, well, what if I think Mr. Rogers is for babies? And I was like, and then my own therapist was like, just tell him it's okay. And I'm like, oh my God. Like it was so hard because he was such a jerk. Right. But I was like, so I said, okay, I'll. but he'd been so deeply traumatized Mm -hmm. by his own his own upbringing, that he was very disorganized. So disorganized children is the the worst case scenario when it comes to, like, we see a lot of this with foster children, children that have been uh, growing up in a very, very violent or chaotic environment, right? So we're seeing that because the baby, is either being terrorized by their caregiver or they're watching their caregiver be terrorized by someone else so we're seeing this a lot with children that grow up with extreme domestic violence in the home right so they end up with things like reactive attachment disorder like as soon as i re as soon as i attach i have to unattach because it's terrifying to me so like they have no idea what to do so they'll bounce between an avoidant child that's gonna not make any noise so we think, oh my gosh, this child's so well-behaved. No, they're terrified to make a mistake. Do you know any perfectionists, perhaps? They often are t- avoidantly attached people because they learned that to survive, this is what I have to do. But if they're about to make a mistake, watch an, a perfectionist implode. They will fall apart. They will. They will be the ones that are medicated. They're trying everything to stay, you know, Whereas an, an anxious attached person is constantly checking in with you. Are, are we okay? Like we're okay, right? They're texting you a lot. They're in your space. Children are the same way. So this little boy would jump between both of those. So one day things would be working really well. And then the next day he was telling me to F off. And you're like, I don't understand. Like why? But the thing is, is that because he doesn't know if I'm safe, right? And so this was our dance that we did for the entire year. I mean it was just brutal then we went into covid for his uh first grade year and so it was like several years in a row but now i can say i don't want to give away the book but the thing is is that it's like he he comes now like he came back as a fifth grader just the other night to back to school night because he's going to be like this is his last year in the building But he came down in the middle of all those little kindergartners and hugged me. And I was like, okay, so what is your schedule like, do you think? And he goes, well, I'm going to get it and then we'll figure it out. And so he knows that he's going to find at least one time during the school day where he's going to come and connect with me. And all I do is I just, you know, I'll snuggle him, rub his back. Sometimes he'll just walk in and just be like, sit in front of me or sit beside me while I'm doing stuff on the computer. And if he sees that it's something he can help with, he'll just take it over and start doing it. Because- He knows that I'm his safe place. So whenever a child finally Hmm. shows you who their safe person is, you continue to cultivate that and you allow them and like access to that person. And that's what I would love to see happen in education. Like I really, our PE teacher is amazing. And I just feel like he has been so one of those people that's like, yeah, no, have them come down to PE and they can help me. He's always willing to like let children come in and just be with him to be love, right? And so I think that we have a lot of things backwards in education because we don't have the emphasis of, first, it takes a child being emotionally well before they can learn. But it also means that an educator and a parent also has to be emotionally well to really pay attention the way that they need to to a child. So and get this crazy statistic. Only 50% of the time do we have to get it right for a person to be secure. So that means we really had some people botching it. (laughs) Like (laughs) there was a lot of botching Mm -hmm. if people are insecure. 50% of the time. Like it's really quite a big number. But what's beautiful is it can be repaired, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of parents don't realize, like you said, they probably still got the Victorian point of view um, where they're not thinking that they need to put any kind of emotional effort because they're kind of doing this top down. I'm the elder. I'm the father. I'm the mother. You should just do what I say. Whether to do what to I do, what say. I
1: yeah. Do, yeah. And Even give though they the need bad, that they bad examples, say yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they do things that like your childhood if sucked, you give some, but
1: you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I get it,
0: yeah. If you if you Absolutely. give a like a kid like like you're never going to amount to nothing or Mm -hmm. i wish i never had you and you say well they're going to forget that they don't forget that
1: no what i find is
0: adults you know i'm a musician i'm a producer a lot of singer songwriters the reason they can write is they have that inner child pain and they remember what their parent told them and they spend their whole life trying to prove that they can't they 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 can do it right so i deal with artists who are using music or art as a cathartic thing to solve that inner child pain, pain. and they, yes. they use the art therapy to do it being a creator, right. but some people, they don't have art therapy. They don't know what to
1: right.
0: do. And, they don't know what and to they, do. They, and, they have no yeah, release. Exactly.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that is that is part of what I do for, for my company as it's developing is really giving women lots of tools to go back and revisit these places and recognize that our life is a story, right? We study everything but our own story. Think about if you're, you know, for music producing, if you get a new software system or whatever, you're going to have to go and explore that and study it and figure out how to, how am I going to use this to mix or how am I going to, right? You don't just, I mean, you might fiddle fart. You're a dude. So I would assume that most dudes just start think like dinking around. They rarely read the manual, but I'm saying most of the time when we get something I new, we need to study it. it. I'm just going to be, I'm going to be really pe- like super uh, generic and yeah, kind of go back. you should read it. I need some manuals. Yeah. Yeah, if I want
0: to know how to do it, then I read a manual. Right, (laughs)
1: right. But I can't tell you how many times my scientist, literal husband, has gone. I'm like, have you even read how to do it? He's like, well, no. And I'm like, "Mm, okay. But you know, it's the idea that that like we study our we study everything, but we don't study our own story. We don't look back at who the child that we were to understand the person we are. We think that's in the past. It's not. It is influencing every decision we make, every word we write, everything, it's always there. It's the things we hear ourselves saying to ourselves. Right. So and I'm not saying I'm not sitting here saying, oh, my gosh, I've arrived. What I'm saying is it is a lifelong process of rediscovering and asking ourselves questions and I didn't even recognize why I'd become a teacher until I studied my own story and found that the answers were from a story when I was nine. So it's really interesting as we go back and do that, that we are able to go back and what we call reparent ourselves, give ourselves the attunement we needed, like asking the questions like, why did that happen? Or voicing and and naming, like that was abuse just saying it to ourselves. Like that wasn't okay that that happened, you know? And some of us are like, oh my gosh, I could never say that to my parents. Well, maybe you don't need to, but maybe you need to say it for yourself. Maybe you need to write it out and write that story out because it's so Mm -hmm. good for our brain, right? That's why it's cathartic when people write out songs, dealing with it because of the fact that they're writing it out. There is so much power with our brain to write something down. We write it out. Journaling saved my life. I filled during recovery I filled probably 40 45 journals full of whatever I needed to say to myself. It wasn't for anybody else but me. But we even think that's selfish sometimes. So it's a matter of deciding I don't want to lug this crap around anymore. Right? And what's crazy about crap is it actually mm-hmm. does help us feel connected to other people once we talk about it, believe it or not. But we have to understand and And what's crazy is as we look back, we can see like contours and themes. So I recognized that I was a truth teller. Like I was someone who could go into a situation and go, what is that? And and of course it's got me in a lot of trouble and it's also gotten me thrown out of a lot of groups. But now I recognize that's kind of the makeup of who I am and it makes me uniquely me, right? Like if someone said to you, why are you a music producer? Why does that matter? Like you could probably go back to parts of your story and tell them why. And it's through story that we heal. It's through it's through things like Fred telling a story with puppets that drew children in so they could learn about things that really mattered in life. Like how are you being a friend? How are you thinking about other people? How are you going to make this world better? Right? That is, and that's why the, the reason that this book was written was yeah, truly, nice. yeah, to celebrate that. Like, to, to I, I'm just trying to help people know this is the roadmap of what I had to do to really engage my own children and my own story. So hopefully someone will be kind of set free emotionally. Re- yeah. Go ahead. Yeah.
0: I think it was really important, important with Mr. Rogers about uh, when he used to talk about, like, Be My Neighbor. You know, be yeah the the whole "Be My Neighbor" song.
1: Yeah, you know, would you, you be my neighbor? Be, yeah.
0: mm-hmm. I think because a lot of people don't don't think that way. Yeah, they don't think that way anymore. Everybody is so individualistic; they don't mm. think about being a good neighbor. Like, do you know
1: your neighbors? They think about like well, you like feel, you know, I'm going yeah. Do you yeah, really know I, your neighbors know right neighbors, now? Do you know your neighbors? Like, <laughs> like, I there I are people the, on my yeah, cul well, de right yeah, now well, I do maybe, not know like but and and then if someone came yeah. over and they're like I just well i mean i kind of
0: I, I came into a
1: <laughs> right right but that's the thing is well, we have a homeowners
0: are... association so we have like meetings and stuff but
1: oh my like but that's like kind of like the club that you pay for so those are like built-in friends right like, like i don't know but at least yeah. you have to meet people but right, i mean yeah. i guess so you're back east but i don't know if anybody's ever been to places like Latrobe, Pennsylvania where Mr. Rogers came from, and that's actually where the archive is um at St. Vincent College, but Latrobe if you're in downtown Main Street Latrobe, the houses are literally like right on top of each other, right? You wouldn't not know your neighbors. Mm. And that is what he based the neighborhood on. Uh-huh. The model that we saw at the beginning, he, was he based it on his ideal of growing up in a small town where people really knew each other. His parents were philanthropists. Um, his mother came from a considerable amount of wealth and they were some of the richest families in in Pennsylvania. Okay. So that the, the, like the depression didn't even touch these people. That tells you something. So he went to school in a limousine and mm-hmm. he was ostracized. Like he was, he was set apart because they wanted so desperately to protect him. But on the same set of the other side, his parents gave so much back to that town right his dad used to talk about they would they would put pennies on the windowsill for people to find and just like little things that they did his mom always made sure that that the doctors had nice night neckties at the hospital or you know all these different things but it was like they took they knew their people in their town like fred remembers giving away thousands and thousands of dollars worth of Christmas gifts to the people that ran different um, companies and different factories. And they would just, they took really good care of the people around them and they knew people. And I just think there was something really beautiful about for me, knowing that there was this Swedish older man across the street growing up. That was one of my dad's best friends. And he was a welder and the smell of him welding. And that just seeing like those sparks coming out of his garage. And I knew When I, you know, in the eighties, we started, everybody started going back to work. The moms did and we became latchkey kids, right? So I did, I knew though, that if I needed something, I could go to Ralph. I could go to Mrs. Sprouse, who was my neighbor. Yes, they were elderly, but they would always take care of me. And we have lost that sense of, I know these people, they are my safe people. They will always take care of me. They will always be there. And that's what we have to start being for each other. We learned during COVID, that we are very lonely people. Amazon did very well, I'm sure, but 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 it's the idea like we missed people. We missed interaction. How about when we couldn't see people's faces? It was a huge deal. So, we need interaction and we need people that authentically look and see us.
0: Yeah, it's definitely, you know, human intera- interaction is super important, you know. Musicians, we find this, you know, because we, you know, we have to perform in front of crowds, and um, you know, we, we kind of live for that interaction. I knew a lot of musicians during COVID. They had a yeah, a hard oh. hard time. Becoming, but we got creative. Being creative, we got creative. <laughs> yeah, you know, they, they got creative, but but there are so, certain types of musicians had a hard time without having a crowd. They could do as much okay. as they could yeah. inside their home studio, but a lot of times. They want their, the creation process was kind of on the road. When they were in the middle of doing a tour, they would they would get ideas on stage, right? And right. when you, you don't have that stage with the crowd to try new ideas on and see their instant, you know, as an artist, a musician, one of the cool things is, unlike an author, is you can see immediate reaction to your new idea. Mm-hmm. When you put yeah. something out in front of a crowd immediately, you can get an act, reaction to whether they like it or they don't. And it's the reason,
1: yeah, absolutely. It's the reason when I was performing, um, I've done both TV and live theater, and I always would prove I would always choose live theater over TV because I loved the sound of people breathing in the same space that I was performing, and they think they're watching a movie, it's hilarious. Like, they don't, the first row, even people on Broadway, like, I think people forget that they we can hear you when you're, we're on stage, like we can hear your cracker, like you're, you're rapping and we can hear you whispering to one another and, and your reactions. And, but there's such energy with live theater or live crowds. And, uh, I was also a singer growing up. And so like, I just, I know what you're talking about, like to be completely like, yes, they, you know, hear somebody playing on the Opry stage all by themselves, but they're literally in a room by themselves. Like, it's just not, I mean, it, There's something that's lost, but it's something that's lost with all interaction if it's (laughs) not authentic. Right. Like we need authentic connection with people. What makes us come alive and what makes us come alive is not by accident. Our story is going to tell us why it's going to tell us why it's going to tell us why we needed music why we needed art, why we needed books or, or, you know, linear thinking, whatever it might be, why we need to create or build or any of those or save lives or whatever it might be. There is a reason for that. And a lot of those reasons are mixed with stories of pain and heartache, but that is how we bless those stories is that we acknowledge that they happen. We name them. We say, this is what hurt me, but now look what I've done with it. And that is what Fred did too. Fred Rogers had insecure attachment. And yet he made sure that other children knew how to gain secure attachment. So I became really good friends with David Newell who played Mr. McFeely, the delivery, speedy delivery guy on Mr. Rogers. And so uh, I was able to look him in the face Mm -hmm. and say, you know, Mm -hmm. um, every time that Fred looked into the camera, he was healing the brains of children. He was right the whole time, David. The whole time. And to say to a man who has invested 50 years of his life to something, you are right, was a really wonderful honor for me. Because, um, I mean, think about that. Like, Fred was doing it before they could prove it. He was doing it intrinsically. He was doing it because he believed that it was what God wanted him to do. He believed that children. Yeah, yes, and children deserved it. They deserved to have tv where people weren't putting pies in people's faces and they weren't always slap sticking everything but they want that they mattered like when your goldfish dies it matters when and like i, I try to get people to understand this with their children yeah. like if grandma dies over the weekend or your dog dies it's a big deal like and they'll be like oh yeah like people are so ridiculously clueless when it comes to what affects their children you're yelling at them all the way to school and then they come to school and they get in a fight with somebody um it's not like really like rocket science but people are like i don't know why they're acting like that and like it's so funny to me yeah. that like all of it matters the it's way like you, you say goodbye to your yeah like how you say goodbye to your child did you did you snuggle them did you forget to snuggle them you know well, like did you yeah. yeah i mean all of it matters everything matters it's all worth talking about
0: well a lot of people they don't they don't understand but like you said a lot of people think kids like whatever you say to them is just going to roll off and that a lot of people sick. feel that words don't matter, right? right. So there's they some do. people they do they they just they they say words they're very like insensitive and they don't understand the impact of words. The, the words you say to that five six six year old kid are still in their head when they're at their therapist when they're 45 at their therapist, you know, or they're or they're drinking because of what you told them, you know, or or they're or they're in yes. a in, in a in a codependent relationship because they they saw you and you didn't understand like. Like what you do in front of your they're children, what me. you say in front of them, they they, they pick it up. It. It, it, you yes. can tell them don't, don't pick it up, but just because you say not to pick it up means doesn't mean they're not going to pick it up.
1: <laughs> you know, and it's so painful. It's so painful because when I see people doing evil, horrible things, I just think, my God, they're just so broken. You know, when we see, when we're like, I don't understand why someone would do that. You're like, well... And then people are like well they can't just blame it on their childhood well it is a big deal like when i'm at the beginning of it it's part of it and yeah like when i when i have seen a child i have seen so i have taken your children america (laughs) like i have taken them into my classroom after you have been a total jerk after you've been totally selfish or you've put your new girlfriend or boyfriend over your child or you've spent more time with your girlfriend or boyfriend's kids than your own child or you haven't kept your word I am the person who cares for them. I am the person who tries to help them understand why you aren't coming back. Like teachers are doing Mm -hmm. your job. We are doing the jobs of parents because people don't know how to parent because they weren't parented. So we have to decide as a society that we want to be well, that we're tired of all of this, that we're tired of constantly passing on generational trauma because all the things that we don't heal just keep happening, don't they? It's the reason all these things keep happening in these families over and over. Why? Well, this is so crazy. Why can't it seems like everybody in our family is an alcoholic? Well, it's, you know, like we or everybody in our family yeah. ends up divorced. Hmm. Like it's things like that where it's it's like, sometimes I feel like we we just make everything too complex. And, and I just, as I did my own research, but my own healing, I was like, oh my God, it, that's our first heartbreak. When we are with our mother and she is, we know as babies that she's supposed to be ours. Like when I cry, she's supposed to help me. And when she comes in and barely meets my need or she comes in and sometimes meets my need or she comes in and terrorizes me that is changing my brain it's literally rewiring my brain Mm -hmm. to look at the world in a completely new way and it's not that child's fault but now as we grow up and we are a 45 year old it's time for us to heal it we can't go back and just say well mom you did this to me so now i'm you screwed me up forever we get a choice to to heal it to engage it and it's not fun Brene yeah, brown always says stop with- working your shit out on other people right so like you have yeah, to decide dude. stop working that out on me and so i i also was tired of watching teachers like losing their crap on kids and being like oh I, that kid is so bad and and then i'm thinking to myself. You know, I think that kid is triggering you. I think that kid is a gift. Mm. That kid that you can't stand, that blue-eyed boy that makes you stay up late and and cry and get on my knees and pray and be like, God, show me how to love this kid. How And so my prayer became, which is crazy, because later when I read Fred's stuff, he would do the same thing. Let me be love. Like, just let me be love. Let me be the one person that doesn't give up on this child. Right? And I just feel like that is now how we can be radical before it was just talking about it. Now we have to actually do it again. We've gotten really out of the habit of being loved to people and not loving them because we, we just put up with crap, but telling them, you know what, you have infinite value to this world around you. Right. But teachers are tired. We're tired of doing all the heavy lifting because people are like, well, she works with kids. I'm sure she knows what she's doing. Yeah. But we got to make sure the doctors are healthy. Like, would you want, would you want to go in and get it treated by a physician that was full of boils and, you know, like you'd be like, um, (laughs) but we're like that on the inside. Mm. Right. So it's a matter of doing the work that we need to do to reach the children that we can reach, but also the people that we love the most. Right. But we can always, the good news is we can repair Attachment, but we can also repair relationships. We can always go back and say, like with my own kids, I was like, dude, I botched it so bad. And getting my kids to be able to say, yeah, you did. And it's okay to tell me that now and receive it and hold that, but not take it on as like, you know, swallowing it, eating it. (laughs) Like, oh, I'm a horrible person. But it's more just like acknowledging I own that. I own that I failed there. And now I'm going to try my best to do better next time. And that's all my children needed. Forgiveness came when they know that we are truly repentant. Like we, like we, we are so very sorry that we, and just saying it's my fault. I screwed it up. Right. So there's abundant amount of hope in the fact that it is repairable. It's all repairable. It might not always be like, we can go back to the beginning, but we can start again. And so that's, that's my hope is that that people would just feel really infinitely loved and seen as they read this. It's, it's yeah, it's kind of a catalog of all the ways I screwed up as a mother, but, it, but it's also the ways that love changed this little boy and has continued to foster change in my own life, but also the lives of the children I teach. So for like four straight years, we have not missed the neighborhood one day, 180 days, four years in order, so Mr. McFeely was like I don't even think like I was there. <laughs> he goes, I don't know if anybody's ever really done that Wistie. but we so he gives us like speedy deliveries on the 100th day of school because it's the 100th day in the neighborhood. But you know what? It's doable. It's just being intentional. Like it's a non-negotiable mm-hmm. part of our day. So if we don't get to something else, I'm like, meh, that's just the way it is mm-hmm. because children need to know that they're well. Like they need that more than anything, right? Like how's your heart doing? So Yeah, that's kind of the basis of this whole thing.
0: Well, I think, you know, Mr. Rogers was a big part of my childhood. And I think it is missing today in in the media. It's out there for children Yeah, that you don't get that feeling with somebody. Like, you know, he's saying he he is love and he's he's actually doing it. He's not like misrepresenting it. He's actually believes it and he's doing it. And I remember you know, seeing that show as a kid in the seventies. And I, at first I thought it was corny. Right. But right. then mm-hmm. I kept on watching it. And I remember well, and my, I had in... two other brothers and we were like, this is actually pretty cool. And we're, you know, yeah. we're kids and they can, we, you know, we can judge what was cool and not cool. And we, we continued to watch it. And because our parents told us to, we were really into it. And yeah. I, and yeah. I think it was because, when we, when you really pay attention to that show, you would really focus and you're Mm -hmm. like, wow, like I'm actually in it and it it really made me feel good. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot lot of things today that can do that the way he did that. And so that's a lesson for anybody who wants to try to recreate that is that they kind of look at what he did and read your book. Yeah. And And there's been a lot of
1: people that have, yeah, that have mirrored some of his stuff. And I, The biggest thing that we talked about embracing the pause and we've also, it doesn't need to be complex to engage the heart of a child. And the less complex we make it, the more beautiful it is. So the less I did in the classroom, the more depth we had. So. I didn't need a special program. I just needed to show them Fred and we talked about it. Or like, I would just say some of the lyrics to a song, like, oh, what do we need to do? Look, look, look. And, and they're like, listen, yeah, listen, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and that was it. Like they would remember it. And so I think that we need to ask ourselves where we are making things way too complex in our own lives and in the lives of our children. They do not need everything they ask for. And Fred even says, you do not need everything you want. Mom and dad do not have the money to do that for you. And you yeah, do you not need it. Quarter. Right. And then just, it just in general, de- like.
0: Declutter. De- de- yeah. <laughs> and simplify, you know. <laughs>
1: well, but it's, but it's emotionally. So many things
0: are, like if yeah, people are, it's hard to do that. <laughs> it
1: is, but it's a challenge, right? And but we can we, do it. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. But so, I mean, we
0: have, where we, we have. Yeah. We, but I, I, the only thing I said, we actually have hit our hour bar.
1: Yeah, I know. I saw that. It's
0: gone by very quickly. It, it doesn't seem like it,
1: <laughs> right? But definitely, but, um, I um, want
0: people to check out your website again.
1: Yes, and we have um, we have a sixty second uh free quiz. Go ahead and take that, and then after you take that, the they're going to give you an opt in where you can actually uh get waiting for Mister Rogers. Here it is. Uh, for the cost of just shipping and handling, so get the book for free. Um, And the releases, that'd be early. It releases to the public on the 26th of uh, September. And then um, you'll also be able to opt in for the companion course. That's going to be launching here pretty soon as well for like 27 bucks versus like 250 or whatever. So there's lots of opportunities as well as great free resources to learn more about your attachment style. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you for this awesome conversation.
0: Oh, it's been great. I think it's, it's been a, a interesting uh, read on, on on Mr. Rogers, and uh, you know, being a child of the seventies, he always brought up really, really good memories for me. Um, in terms of like my childhood, one of the things that's like core is is, yes. is actually watching that show, and yes. I think well, kids who have not seen that, or people who haven't read about him, yeah. they need to check out your book. check Thank out you. your book and and then go yes. back into it and and start looking at like looking at. Maybe the lessons you yeah. can learn from the past. Cause not everything, you know, from the future is sometimes you have to go back a little bit and find little nuggets. Mm. And definitely this is a, a golden nugget from the past that people need to go back and uh, revisit.
1: Yes. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Take care.
0: Thank you. Have a good night.
1: All right.